0: Hey y'all, welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I am your host, Heather McFadion, and this is the place where I'm gonna walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources so you know that you don't mom alone. In this re-released episode, we are featuring a conversation I had in 2018 with Chris Kane. It is one that I think is gonna be the boost of faith we need in these uncertain and unexpected times.
1: To be a mother in this day and age, you need the wisdom of God. And it is easy to be fearful of the changing moral paradigms and the landscape in which we're raising children in. So I don't want Christian mothers to kind of just... Bow down to that fear and pull back because we don't know what to do. I want to give us strength and courage to go, You are the right woman for the job. He chooses the times that we're born in. So God knew. He knew what would be happening politically, morally, spiritually, environmentally Um, on the planet in 2018. He knew who would be the best mother for that child at this time. And out of all of the billions of people that He's created throughout all of time, He knew we would be the right people in the right time for this time to parent our kids as Christ followers. And so I want us to lean into that with a spirit of faith and not pull back from a spirit of fear. I may need to
0: publish that on our YouTube channel, that little clip, because don't we need to hear that every day when fear tries to grip us to think so far into the future, when we forget who God is and we forget who He made us to be, and we can get caught up in our present circumstances. Our marriages are strained, our relationships with our kids are stressful and our patience is being tried. And my hope is always to embolden your faith. And that's what I want this conversation to do. So I'm gonna get right to it. After our conversation, I'm gonna share some thoughts and pray over us, but be encouraged by Chris. Let's get right to it. Here we go. Hey, Christine, welcome to the God-Centered Mom Podcast. Hey, Heather, I am so honored to be on this. Well, the mom listening, does not if she hasn't heard your name before, she doesn't know what's coming for her because (laughs) (laughs) I think that after I record it, I might re-listen to get that little boost of faith on the days when I need it. So thank you for being here and sharing the gifts that God's given you.
1: Hey, it is so fantastic. I hope that everyone can handle my Aussie Greek accent.
0: What's going to happen though, is I'm going to start speaking with accent because I do that. I I absorb (laughs) the accents around me and everyone's going to get annoyed. Like Heather, you're not from Australia. Stop. Stop. It's nauseous. But for the gal who hasn't heard of you, would you just take a second, introduce her to yourself and your family?
1: Sure. Well, my name's Chris Kane. So I grew up in Sydney, Australia, uh, the daughter of Greek immigrants. And um, we now live here in America. I have a 16-year-old daughter, Catherine, and a 12-year-old daughter, Sophia, and the most ravishing piece of masculine flesh, who is my husband, Nick. And um, in a couple of days, we've been married for 22 solid years.
0: Congratulations. That's that's good. We celebrate all these things. And I've Love how you talk about your husband. It, it's <laughs> it perfect. It models it for all of us to speak life over our husbands. So keep doing it. Keep doing awesome. it. So this newest book, Unexpected, yes, I read while I was on spring break, and Ooh. yeah, it. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we were in the mountains. We were like away from everyone, and there was a day where I was feeling a lot of fear, actually, and discouraged about our parenting. In fact, it was uh-huh. 30 minutes into reading your book and I felt my faith emboldened. I felt uh-huh. the strength of your faith coming off the pages into my soul and reminding me of what's true. And I want to do that for the guy listening today, a tiny piece, a tiny piece, because fear has such a way of entering into our motherhood and robbing us of the joys, and whether it's fear of rejection, failure, pain, loss, it motivates our decisions, and paralyzes us sometimes. So, is it possible to let go of this fear? And how do we embrace the adventure of motherhood and all the things God has for us?
1: Well, sure. And I think, I mean, the the fear is real, and um, I think for all of us, you know, I I have now. <laughs> two almost teenagers and one, definitely one. And I remember right from starting when I got pregnant, actually, I was 35 when I had my first child. I then I had a miscarriage at 37. And then I had my second baby girl when I was almost 40. And so I understand the reality of just fear. And I was already at the time ministering and teaching and traveling the world. So um, in my own mind, it was like, you know, God, did you know what you were doing? Mm. Don't you realize that um, you've called me to teach and that I'm traveling? And it's almost like sometimes we feel like we have to remind God uh, and say, did you even realize which child you brought this (laughs) I mean, which family you brought this child into? Like, is this a
0: mistake? Are you sure, God?
1: Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think whether you're a 21-year-old stay-at-home mom or whether, like me, you're a 40-year-old traveling the world mom, um, the fear is real. There might be different fears, but you're still going to have to make that daily decision. 16 years on in my parenting, um, it's just different fears hit you at different seasons. And so you have got to make a decision that God has not given me a spirit of fear and that I I am going to take on a posture of faith and trust that God knew who he was giving this child to, the family he was giving this child to, and that he's not expecting me to be perfect. He's just expecting me to do my best. And he is going to fill in all of the gaps. And I think that's where my courage comes from, Mm. that God is going to fill in the inevitable gaps that I'm going to leave because I am flawed. I am human. I'm not trying to be God. He does a very good job at being who he is. And I trust him with my children. Like I'm called to train up my child in the way that she, they, they both should go. But. I can't save them, only Jesus can, and I can help set them up for life. But I trust that the same God that grabbed a hold of my life, and if he could take me, I was so broken, so flawed, Um, you know, in the natural, my own life would have seemed so beyond redemption. But I trust that the same God that saved, delivered, and healed me and has set me on course with my destiny is the same God that's going to do it with my daughters. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And in those moments of fear, like, you know, you said with the travel and the ministry that you're a part of, I'm sure the the enemy will come in and on a day say that you're failing or you're falling short as we all have those, you know, our head hits the pillow at the end of the day and we feel all of the shortcomings. What do you practically do? to remind yourself.
1: Like- a, and that's cool because, of course, um, we all get attacked like that. The enemy, you know, the Bible says that he's the accuser of the brethren and he is gainfully employed doing what he does best, and that is accusing us yeah. that we're not good enough, we're not sharp enough. And so I think um, I, I love to quote scripture out loud, and I'm one of those people that loves to write scriptures on sticket notes <laughs> and stick them everywhere yeah. in yeah. the restroom, on the my mirror, you know, yeah. like I – I am one of those people because Jesus saved my soul, but the Word saved my mind. Mm-hmm. And I think for me to open Scripture, I love to play worship music, Heather. I find that that really helps to settle me and to it just because what it does is it gets my eyes off my inadequacy and onto Jesus and his greatness. And I think that's why the scripture says, fix your eyes on Jesus. And if I can spend more time fixing my eyes on him as opposed to, and who he is as opposed to who, what I'm not, I find that he fills in that gap. And of course, you know, My husband and I oversee the A21 campaign and so we have um, anti-human trafficking officers in 12 countries, 14 officers in 12 countries around the world. And so it would be easy for me to be overcome by fear because the things that I'm exposed to when it comes to children being trafficked Mm -hmm. and sold for sex or sold into forced labor, it can make you Uh, It can really make your mind run wild and, um, you know, want to get into protective mode with your own children, because I am aware, like maybe few other people are, of truly the depraved nature of humanity and the evil that is out there and the potential danger that is out there. And I have to really, really center my mind on the scripture. And that's why I love worship as well, because it helps my emotions come into alignment with what my head knows and what my heart knows and what my spirit knows. And that's what I think keeps the fear at bay is when I just do practical steps out loud. I confess scripture, um, out loud. I worship God. And it kind of, I I just think some of those practices, they seem very simplistic, but 30 years on in my Christian faith, um, You know, I'm not any more complicated than that. I think the basic spiritual practices are what help all of us, whether it's helping our kids get through school. You know, sometimes my daughters come home like most people's kids and uh, they've been bullied at school or someone has said something negative or they feel like failures. Not everything is a global issue like trafficking. I think a lot of (laughs) things are just small. Yeah. But I have found that the closer I am to Jesus and the healthier I am, the more effective I can be as a mom to my daughters.
0: So good. And, and what we're talking about now is all the inner monologue of fear and the worries of what could happen. But your book yes. talks a lot about things that actually do happen. And the fact that we live in this broken world and that same depravity that traffics children is in all of us and is ravaging our world and sin is just death, you know, everything's leading to death. We're going to experience hard, unexpected circumstances. And I love that you hit the ground running in your book with your own unexpected circumstance of a diagnosis. And I know a mom's listening who just had that diagnosis. I'm heading to a doctor this week, hoping for no negative news, but we, this is the reality of the world we live in. And so how do we feed faith in the the actual, like, it's not like worried something might happen. Our worst fear is happening what do we
1: do? Well, it is. And I think that's why I opened the whole book with the story about my cancer diagnosis, because um, I think sometimes people might see people like us and think that we somehow float on the clouds (laughs) above.
0: Mother of God. Yeah, right, 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 right. right.
1: I'm like, seriously, I was the kid that was left in a hospital, unnamed and unwanted. I was sexually abused for 12 years. I grew up in you know, abject uh, in in a very low socioeconomic kind of uh, government housing home, the daughter of immigrants, and so there was all brokenness there. It doesn't mean, though, I got saved and the challenges stopped. I mean, the truth is we live in a fallen world, so there is sickness, there is betrayal, and I go through all of that. Yeah. In the book, Very Real Stories, what do you do when you get a cancer diagnosis? What do you do when you've been betrayed by a lifelong friend that you thought you would be friends with forever, you know, and I think for a lot of us mums, that kind of really hits home. That was the most painful. Yeah,
0: I want to talk about that. Yeah, that's good. To be
1: honest, that chapter for me was more painful to write than um, the chapter on cancer. For me, I think with my broken background and my mother wounds and things like that, I I am more susceptible to a relational uh, division than I am even to, you know, overcoming a physical body challenge. But I think with me, what happens is when adversity comes, uh, it reveals what is in us. Mm -hmm. And I think so when I received that cancer diagnosis, I thank God for the years of having filled my mind and heart with the word of God and with the truth of who God is. So I knew in that moment, when the doctor said those words that none of us want to hear. You know, I had a mammogram two days ago and you just kind of go, wow, okay. there's You don't yeah. know what what's going yeah. to happen when you come out yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, but though, when I got the phone call that said, Chris, you have cancer. I mean, who is wanting to hear those words? You have cancer. Those three words, nobody mm-hmm. wants to hear that. But in that moment, um, what was in me came out of me. I remember saying to the doctor, you know, well, Leslie, this is going to go one of three ways. God is either going to supernaturally heal me. That's what I was believing for. Now, that didn't happen, but I was, you know, I'm I'm still going to believe in faith for that, or I'm going to be uh, healed through medicine and, you know, surgery. And that's, in my case, that's what happened. Um, Or Jesus is going to take me home and I'm going to be healed on the other side Of eternity. I found myself laughing, going, Well, you know, um, I I won't be sad because by the time I get there, I'll be like (laughs) very, very happy. I said, People down here might be, but I won't be. But it just kind of struck home to me that I realized uh, whichever way I'm going to slice it up, if I can just settle the fact that death is the ultimate statistic, one out of one will die. And I think sometimes (laughs) as Christian, we kind of act like, oh, wow, we might die. I'm like, no, 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 not you might. We will die. We are all, as far as I'm aware, most people are going to get to heaven through death. So (laughs) if you can just settle the fact that, Um, even if I'm healed now and God willing, I'm going to live another 40 or 50 years, you know, I'm 52 this year, I'd love to see grandchildren. But the truth is, no one knows. The Bible says life life is but a vapor. Nobody knows um, how long we're going to be here for, which means I want to make every day count. And I don't want to live every day with a fear of death because that is inevitable. What I, I would prefer to, in a healthy way, fear more is that I don't actually live the life that God's called me to live. I think so many, of us are so worried about dying that we never get around to living. Mm. And so I want to make sure that I live the God life that he's called me to live every day while he has given me breath. Um, And I think that's what, in in that moment, I thought, well, at least I really believe this stuff because I knew what came out of my mouth. And then like everybody, you know, at the time of the diagnosis, I think one of my daughters was uh, nine, eight, almost nine. The other one was, um, you know, 11, 12. And so I, you just have all the very natural feelings of going, okay, God, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure you want me to raise these kids. And, um, you know, but I had to just settle some things. Like I, I ultimately we don't know how it's going to land and um, you have to work through what is that going to look like for my family. And I wanted to really assume a posture of faith no matter which way it was going to end up. And I didn't want my daughters to fear the cancer word. I think there's a lot of fear around the word cancer, yes. but I wanted to teach them that there is a name that is above everything every other name, including the name of cancer. And I said to my doctor at the time, I said, my battle here is not against cancer. My battle is against fear. I think we hear the C word and we instantly shrink back. Um, And I think I just really had to renew my mind. And I call it, I had to go into a faith cocoon. I had four or five girlfriends and I just made a decision that I was not going to talk about this in the way that it was going to defeat me. Um, I was going to surround myself with faith-filled girlfriends that were going to pray with me, that were going to encourage me, that when I was feeling down or, you know, going to go to another, have another biopsy or another scan, that these girls would be speaking faith because I didn't want the fear of cancer to take over my family life. I wanted to be my kid's mum. I wanted to be Nick's wife. I still wanted to uh, lead our ministry. Now, that wasn't denying the reality um, of what was going on, I just wasn't going to give what was going on more airplay than it deserved.
0: All of that is such great advice. Each woman having that group of friends that speak life, not like the job friends, <laughs> or like, What'd you do wrong? Absolutely. What'd you do wrong? <laughs> yeah. you must That's make like, your exactly. out because you're getting punished. Um. And to speak life over sure. you and to remind you and to point you back when you do.
1: I'm sure you had hard moments. I'm sure you needed to boot. Oh, absolutely. Okay. I mean, I think you, you're sitting in waiting rooms and, um, you know, I, my father had died of cancer when mm. I was 19. So the so reality great. of what cancer could can do to you is very real. I was not in any denial. You know, faith right. is not calling those things that are as though they are not. I think sometimes we think that, like, so faith is, you know, I haven't got cancer, I haven't got cancer, it's under the blood. I'm like, no, that's called lying, that's not <laughs> called faith. Um, Faith, though, is calling those things that are not, Hebrews says, as though they are. So what I was doing was calling forth my healing, which was not yet manifest as though it was. So I wasn't denying the reality of what was going on. And I was seeing doctors. I was getting every treatment that was available to me. But I was also believing God. I knew ultimately my life was in God's hands, not the doctor's hands. And that's where I think the bottom line is of rest comes from going, okay, God, whichever way this lands, Psalm 119 says that you are good and that you do good. And I believe that you are sovereign and that whichever way this goes, you will work this out for my good and for your glory. And, um, you know, to stay in that posture of faith, you you have to just silence the voice of the accuser because, and when it normally comes is when you're tired or Two or three in the morning, or just before you wake up, you've got to know when you're, uh, you know, when your vulnerable times are, and you've got to set up defense mechanisms. Mm-hmm. I had people that would text me, you know, as soon as I got up because it's my most vulnerable times were mostly when I was tired and your resistance is down, and sometimes you just need friends that are going to put you on the mat and carry you through the roof to Jesus when you can't do it yourself. I'm. Um-
0: I just saw the movie Paul last week and everything you're saying. And the whole theme of this book reminds me of the movie. He's Paul is imprisoned in Jeru- uh, in Rome and he's about to be beheaded. Luke comes to be that friend, to Rah. embolden his faith, this man that we've read all these letters. And of course, of course, Paul, he's full of faith, right? But he's yeah. can still be discouraged. And it shows the humanity of a man who's Imprisoned in a Rome that's a muck, gone a yeah. and burning Christians alive. And I'm seeing I, it. I can't stop thinking about it because we've been put on this earth for a purpose. And I think of all that they went through, all yeah. that these early believers went through, and to hear and. It was James Faulkner, the actor, but to hear Paul say to live is Christ, to die is gain. And he knew he was being beheaded. I I mean, it meant so much more than just the, you know, the ink on a paper. It was living and active and alive. And they were, their lives were being poured out for a purpose. They saw the end game and they held that faith in the midst of persecution we don't get. We don't understand. We don't understand at all. And I know there are believers in this world that do, and maybe listening right now, they're like, I I get that kind of persecution. In America right now, we don't get. And these things like cancer terrify us, and that's okay that they terrify us to the level that they do. But to hold on to that faith and to recognize that God is bigger and that he put you here for a purpose bigger than the comfort, convenience, control that we're seeking, that's what I love about your book. Like, yes, hard things happen. Yes, we will be scared. But we're choosing a God who has a big plan. And if He has something for you to fulfill, there's nothing to fear.
1: Totally. And I think because ultimately, this life is but a vapor. And I think when you go into every day, including our parenting, if we go right. into every day with an eternal perspective, Um, you know, then we will endure whatever temporal process comes our way. And I think Mm. Jesus never said we're not going to have trials. He said when trials come, not if, but when. And I think sometimes as believers we forget that, that um, we have a grace within it. And I think part of our testimony to a lost and a broken world is the way that we go through. Sometimes we want to be delivered from, but Jesus Mm -hmm. says, my grace is sufficient for you through it. And I pray that this book, Unexpected, is going to give us all the strength and courage to go through it from a place of victory. And and I think, you know, you couldn't have given me a better compliment because only a handful of people have read the book. That's why I sort of paused when you said, (laughs) I read it. I went, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, I have. I have it in my hand right here. I have it right here in my hand. from people. And so um, it makes me, I mean, you couldn't have given me a better compliment to say, Chris, that faith-filled perspective because what I think the challenge is, is a lot of us kind of give in to the challenges and the pain and the fear and the negativity. And I think giving in is worse than giving up because when you give up, you can maybe start something new. When you give in, you make a decision, I'm going to settle and I'm going to camp at this place of challenge or failure or disappointment or discouragement. And I don't want people to give in and go, well, this is just the way it is. We have served a God that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond anything we could ever ask, hope or think. So I look at the world, and I look at the pain and the suffering, I look at the challenges. I mean, parenting in the 21st century is not for the faint of heart. We are dealing with cultural and moral issues that we've never had to deal with before. Like I know every generation says, well, you know, it was different in my generation, but the entire moral landscape of the earth as we knew it has so totally transformed. To be a mother in this day and age, you need the wisdom of God, And it is easy to be fearful of the changing moral paradigms and the landscape in which we're raising children in. So I don't want Christian mothers to kind of just bow down to that fear and pull back because we don't know what to do. I want to give us strength and courage to go, you are the right woman for the job. God knew that you would be alive. He chooses the times and the seasons. And I think I make this point in the book. He chooses the times that we're born in. So God knew. He knew what would be happening politically, morally, spiritually, environmentally um, on the planet in 2018. He knew who would be the best mother for that child at this time. And out of all of the billions of people that he's created throughout all of time, he knew we would be the right people in the right time for this time to parent our kids as Christ followers. And so I want us to lean into that with a spirit of faith and not pull back from a spirit of fear.
0: Woo. On repeat. <laughs> Those couple minutes, ladies, just go back and over and over and over. Listen to that. It's so, so true. And even the mom of the two-year-old who's like, I don't want to think about the cultural. I'm. They're just right in my home. But that was the season when I parented in fear of rejection and fear that my kid, I have four boys. FYI. Yes,
1: you're a hero. And, well,
0: <laughs> but I feared everyone's rejection and they're too crazy and they're too wild and their personalities are too big. And, and to parent in fear of that is to shut down the gifts that God gave them to possibly be, well, I know they will be the next generation of men who rise up to be different. And if I parent in fear and shut down those gifts because I'm scared of that mom next to me's rejection, I'm robbing... I'm robbing from the future gifts to the next generation. So oh, I, that's where I keep it in check. I, I have to keep my fear in check, embolden my faith, keep an eternal sp- perspective on my boys and their gifts and see that maybe the gift's gone awry right now in an unsaved three-year-old, yeah. <laughs> but put a little Holy Spirit in there Come and on. point him in the right direction. And we have a change. And so- to that mom, to that mom who's you know worried about that, uh, to reset her eyes, to fix it on the right path for her child, and. Oh, yeah,
1: you're raising world changers. See, I, I love that. We're called to train them up, not to restrain their gifts and talents, but to train them and direct them in the right mm-hmm. place. And mm-hmm. we need—like, I'm grateful you're having that attitude. Uh, f- I want my daughters to marry men like that. <laughs> I, right. I want world um, change men. I want <laughs> they, it might be too
0: dumb, but yeah, we can make I something to happen. Raise <laughs> men of God that my daughters right. can follow. You know, that's what I want. Right. Right, right, and work as a team. Like you and your husband are modeling for them. I mean, all of these spiritual leaders right now. We we got to recognize they're the next generation's coming. You know, we just saw Ruth Bell Graham, no, yes. Ruth Graham Bell, and her preaching at her father's service. I mean, yes. it's getting passed down if we keep the faith. Um, but I'm going to go to this fear of rejection thing because you'd yeah. mentioned it was your hardest place from your story. I think women listening, we talk a lot in this community about don't mom alone and the importance of coming alongside each other. But in that, we're choosing to risk and we're being vulnerable. And it is to go in the face of that fear of rejection and to choose anyway. Um, And you talk about betrayal and having to move forward in faith, even in the midst of a broken friendship. What sure. encouragement can you give to the gal who's walking through that, or just has?
1: Yeah, I think for all of us that's such a reality because even as women, you know, we're very sensitive, and I, I think for me, when you add, you know, sort of being left at a hospital, there, there's mm-hmm. always that rejection thing, right? From you know, if that that kind of bond with your own mother has mm-hmm. been challenged, it, it's always. And I've, uh, an Achilles heel in my life, you know, if I right. if I'm not careful, because um, rejection, abandonment, and I think you get to a place like you know I'm 51 and a half, and you sometimes think that's not going to happen at this stage, <laughs> and you go, wow, okay, it just did, um, and I, I think you know I I use the psalm. Um, um, David said, if it was like an enemy, I could have coped, but it was with my friend that I used to go to the house of God with, you know, like it just is so destructive. And even, I mean, I'm very strong when it comes to, come on, let's go charge hell with a water pistol and take (laughs) out the enemy. Uh, But I'm very tender hearted. And once you have my loyalty and you have my friendship, you've got me, you know, like you Mm. have the power to hurt me because I am all in when I'm in. And so I think sometimes, um, The enemy will use people. And uh, Eugene Peterson in one of the Psalms talks about when you've been kicked in the gut, Um, it's so painful and it wins you. Someone's got to be very close to you to kick you in the gut. And I think at the end of the day we've got to understand that Jesus even allowed himself to be kicked in the gut by Judas. So he was obviously one of his close 12. And for me the way I was able to work through that last year was to really reflect on that story of Jesus and Judas. And I thought, you know, somehow if even my Savior didn't shut down his heart, but he allowed, and he knew Judas was going to betray him, obviously at the Last Supper, when he said, you know, one of you is going to do this, it's like he was God, so he knew who, but he still served him the Last Supper. And I tend to think Mm -hmm. if Judas did not hang himself, if he did not kill himself, um, when Jesus said uh, to the women at the tomb when he rose again, he said, you know, go and tell the disciples and Peter that, I, I you know, I, I've come back. I think if Judas was still alive, he would have said, and Peter and Judas. And mm-hmm. I said to um, the Lord, it took me, I mean, it was deeply painful, Heather. I'm not going to lie. It was, you know, I my mother passed away the year before last. I think this oh, betrayal so almost yeah. affected me and it became right on the back of that. So, yeah. you know, the enemy will always use your vulnerable moments. And I think, um, that betrayal kicked me in the gut even in a worse way. And I think they were just back-to-back things. And so – I, I took it and I went and I went and saw a counselor because I didn't really know how to process it. And I think it just helped me to have somebody to for six months to really talk through it and then to really reflect on Jesus and Judas. And I said to the Lord, I really want to get through this. I don't want to be bitter. I don't want to shut down. I don't want to spend the next 30 or 40 years of my life not letting anyone else in close. And so what can I learn from this? Where was I perhaps wrong in this? And where are just some things that I'm going to have to live? with just not knowing and sometimes I think that's that for someone like me that is so wired up for justice and just tell me what happened and I'll change you know I think the just the I'm not going to know and this person just doesn't want to go there so you just have to live with some um, just some stuff that's going to just hover and go, okay, Jesus, I have to give that over to you. I don't want to shut down my heart. I've done the best that I can do. I've looked for reconciliation and healing and forgiveness in every way I know possible. But unless God decides to do something sovereign, This is about as worked out as it's going to be this side of eternity for now, and I'm going to have to find a way to move forward. And I think the counsellor really helped me uh, to do that and to then go, I'm not going to shut down. And I, in fact, want to get to a place uh, like Jesus did where I think he just did not let his heart harden and he was able to serve communion to Judas. And and I still think he pro- possibly would have gone, you know what, bring Judas back too. Like, you know, I'm, I'm back for him as well. And I hope my heart can stay so tender that if sometime in the future there's able to be a, a you know, a more... A, just something that would be more meaningful to me in terms of a resolution that my heart is going to be so soft and tender that I'm going to go, yes, come and let's eat together and let's move forward.
0: Wow. that That is very powerful. And it's it's humbling to choose to set aside uh, those grievances. And I love how you're thinking of Jesus and how he would have handled the situation and for so many of us in difficult relationships. I think that is a good model (laughs) to go to looking to God's word and saying, okay, what did Jesus do when he was betrayed? What did Jesus do when he was rejected and taking on that for ourselves and um, only through the power of the Holy Spirit. So thank you for sharing vulnerably that story. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for writing this book. Always walking in faith and inviting us along the passion that you preach from is inspiring to us all. And where can gals find you online so they can keep following you?
1: I think obviously everywhere is uh, Christine Kane. I think I'm pretty much wherever <laughs> you're going to find me. You, it won't be that hard. Thank
0: <laughs> <laughs> you, all my just just search for her there. Okay, well, thank you, Chris, and
1: it was so great to talk with you. Thank you, Heather. I just so appreciate your time. Bless you.
0: So, y'all on the Instagram and Facebook, I have been encouraging moms to consider. In this time of isolation and quarantine, how are we getting time of solitude? And I know that doesn't make sense, but solitude is when you choose to remove yourself from other people. And in a spiritual sense, and a spiritual discipline, it's choosing to get away to be with God. And it does not have to be this 24-hour, five-hour block of time. But I woke up one morning with it heavy on my heart, and I feel like so often we have other things that get in the way of choosing to be with God. And in my season of lots of young kids, and even now with lots of teens and lots of conversation and a husband who already was working from home, but now working from home, um, everyone is, there's just, I have to choose. I have to choose to make time to be with God. And it does not come easy to me. And so I figured it might not come easy to y'all. And it is not something that God requires of us to love us more. And it is not something that we do to be a good Christian because we need to check it off a list. This is something that, particularly when I had young kids, was what sustained me. It was my sanity saver. And it doesn't have to be, like I said, this massive thing. Solitude for me could be (laughs) grabbing earpods or earphones, going in the bathroom and listening to one worship song. Maybe it's letting your kids play outside in the backyard and you're sitting on the porch and you're reading a verse and meditating. Maybe it's waking up before your kids. And if so, you can follow my friend Kat Lee over at Hello Mornings. I think I've mentioned her a billion times, but if you haven't heard me talk about her, go check her out. She was the one who um, really rescued me in a season of young kids when I was drowning The time, I feel like my kids are sleeping in more, so me waking up before them would be a good idea. I haven't been doing it because we were on spring break, but as we head into schooling from home and me needing to also get my work done, I think that's going to be the only time I'm going to have. What is it for you? And I know because I've been getting messages that uh, y'all are going through hard things on your own people in your life that are sick or just a lot of kids, a lot of young kids, if you are a mom who is nursing a baby in the middle of the night, could you meditate on a scripture instead of scrolling on Instagram? To me, it's the little choices, and it's hard. It's hard to choose solitude and being with God. And honestly, it could be simply a phrase or a verse that you say, God, what do you want to say to me through this? and What are you revealing to me? What is something that I am loving more than you? Maybe this is a time of repentance, a kind of turning away from some things that we have idolized, whether it's production or consumption or something (laughs) Um, else-sumption. It's a unique time. And yes, we're gonna need to entertain ourselves, but at the same time, I'm feeling this place and burden in my heart to remind us that God longs for our hearts. <laughs> he longs for our attention. And so what does that look like for you? Maybe you don't feel that same conviction, but I would be untrue to what He's placing on my heart if I didn't share it with y'all. And so I'm going to pray over us. Lord, I come to you in humility i know where my heart has been the last 6 months i have been so distracted my time in your word has been inconsistent and when it happens i'm usually racing to the next thing and lord i i pray for forgiveness myself i pray lord for each of the women men listening where a spirit of fear has fallen on them, I pray that you would remove it and fill them with a spirit of faith, that you would point our hearts back to you, the only one who holds our souls, the only one who holds us in your hand, and that we are eternally safe in your presence, God. I pray, Lord, that you would give us insight and wisdom, what you have for us in this season, for our families, and how we can choose you over other distractions. What time? Do we need to set aside and be intentional to sit in your presence, to listen to your voice, to hear what you have to say to us, to meditate on your word, to intercede on behalf of those who are sick, who are on the front lines, who are helping keep our communities going? Lord, help us keep our eyes fixed on you. And when we start to feel things that rob us from the peace that you promise, when our minds are filled with things that are not true, point us back to the truth in your word. I pray for each person listening. I pray for this generation that this would build up some resiliency that has been lacking and the children that we are raising, that this is part of their story, that when I talk about the gifts and the that they're the next generation, Lord, that, that this wouldn't just be, oh, I... I numbed out for a couple of weeks, but this is part of their ability to uh, have something that shapes them and that it draws them back to your heart, God, that we as families can be drawn back to you. I thank you and praise you for all that you're doing what we don't even see. I thank you for Jesus and that how he's redeemed all things and continues to bring the kingdom of heaven here on earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done with my little monologue and prayer. Thanks, y'all, for listening. Thank you for sharing with your friends. Now, more than ever, the world is recognizing that we need people. I feel like more than anything, it is highlighting what we need, and we need people, we need relationships. I pray that you reach out to mentors, you reach out to friends, and whatever online option you have available to you, and make sure you share these episodes with your people who are feeling discouraged. They might want a little boost of encouragement in a season when they're feeling very alone. All right, thanks y'all for listening. See you back here next week. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to DontMomAlone.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news, the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, Jesus said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us, moms, that's super power. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 317, the Lord, your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.